Hi everyone, and welcome back to Think Like a Human. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Will Cilio, and today we'll be talking about meaning in life and the decisions that get us there. Joining us on the podcast today are my uncle and aunt, uh, Michael Perone and Mariah Dekenga. Both of them are artists, specifically painters, and Mike is also a professor of painting at Virginia Commonwealth University's Qatar campus. They split their time living between Qatar for the school months and spending winters and summers in Vermont, where they own a church which they are renovating into an artist residency, which is where I visited them to record this episode. It was a super cool space to record in and work in. Um, I'll post some pictures on the podcast Instagram, at thinkinghumanly. And on that note, uh, apologies for the sound quality of this episode. I had my first major technical difficulty um, when recording this episode in Vermont. As a result of uh, some small carelessness and uh, lack of my usual double-triple checking, um, the audio recording routed through my computer microphone, which was sitting on my lap, rather than uh, the actual microphone, which was sitting on the table in the middle of the room, uh, and my computer was facing away from the room, so long story short, the, uh, the audio came out literally unusable. Um, but luckily, Mike and Mariah were gracious enough to record with me a second time. However, seeing as I had already left Vermont, we had to re-record over Skype, um, which actually came out pretty well. Um, so, yeah. Thanks for bearing with me through the learning experience, which is the uh, creation of this podcast. So, all that aside, let's kick this thing off. Um, the philosopher that I'm focusing on in this episode is the philosopher Susan Wolfe. She, like my main boys, Aristotle and Alastair McIntyre, is a virtue ethicist. Her book, Meaning in Life and Why It Matters, is a vastly interesting read and totally digestible, um, and I would highly recommend it to anyone. If anyone has a uh, an interest in actually reading the book, please let me know. Um, I'm pretty sure I've got a copy or two that I could get my hands on um, and would be happy to share. The book talks about differing ideas of meaning in life uh, and how to attain it, and rather than trying to paraphrase her main ideas and completely botch things, I'll just read you guys an excerpt from her intro that sums things up pretty nicely. Philosophical models of human motivation tend to fall into two categories. Egoistic models conceive of human beings as moved and guided exclusively by what they take to be in their own self-interest. Dualistic models hold that people are capable of being moved not only by self-interest, but by something, quote, higher as well. Thus, Kant, for example, famously thought that in addition to being subject to inclinations, people are capable of being moved and directed by reason alone. In ordinary discourse as well as philosophy, when we offer justifications for our actions or policies, we seem to have one of these two sorts of models in the back of our minds. Most often, when asked to explain or justify our choices, we offer reasons that fall under the category of self-interest. When we are trying to persuade someone else to do something, we may appeal to self-interest, 
in this case, to the other person's self-interest. Still, there are occasions when invoking self-interest would be simply unconvincing, and some when such appeals would be unseemly or at least beside the point. In these cases, we are likely to speak the language of duty. Justice, compassion, or simply morality demands that we act in such and such a way, whether it contributes to our own good or not. These models of motivation and practical reason, however, seem to me to leave out many of the motives and reasons that shape our lives. Moreover, the reasons they leave out are neither peripheral nor eccentric. To the contrary, they are reasons and motives that engage us in the activities that make our life worth living. They give us reason to go on. They, and the activities they engender, give meaning to our lives. My aim today is to bring out the distinctive character of these sorts of reasons and the specific role they have to play in the quality of our lives. Specifically, I shall suggest that our susceptibility to these sorts of reasons is connected to the possibility that we live meaningful lives. Understanding meaningfulness as an attribute that is not reducible to or subsumable under either happiness as it is ordinarily understood or morality. Today, I shall be mainly concerned to explain the feature I call meaningfulness in life and present it in such a way as to make it seem worth wanting, both for ourselves and for those about whom we care. What I have to say, however, will be of little or no practical use. Though I shall offer a view of what it means for life to be meaningful, I can offer none but the most abstract sorts of advice about how to go about living such a life. And so Susan Wolf describes this sort of meaning in life as basically a set of reasons that can motivate us to act. And unlike uh, self-interest or morality, meaning tends to point us to act uh, in a very different set of ways. It points us to spend our time surfing or climbing, reading a good fantasy novel, or meditating. Or at least that's what it points me to do. It's something that, when we turn 50, we realize we haven't been pursuing as much as we would have liked to in our lives, and make a wild, mad scramble to grab as much meaning as we can. Um, and that's what they call the midlife crisis. And so Susan Wolf describes meaningfulness, but doesn't really talk about how it should play into our lives. How does one pursue meaning? How should we weigh it against self-interest and morality? And so on. And so in this conversation, I sought to dig a bit deeper into those sorts of themes by posing these questions to my uncle and aunt, who I believe, as artists, have definitely taken a different approach to weighing these motivations and figuring out how to pursue them in their lives. I hope you all enjoy, and thanks so much for listening. So yeah, Mike and Raya, thanks for... um hopping on the podcast with us. Thanks, Will. Thanks, Will. Sounds great. Yeah. Um, so, no, I just, I I guess I'm just wondering, for you guys as artists, if you feel like there's anything, like, like, what's, how do you feel your, like, like meaning in life for you compares to um, just the rest of society in general, I guess? Like, like how do you guys... Um, view the way that you guys find meaning as different one thing that comes to mind is just um i think as as artists we're we're trained to 
like maybe notice things or to be aware of of things of visual nature or um, textural touch nature or maybe just even sensations Mm -hmm. in general so like even just as we were um as i was listening to you i was you know playing with the pen on the paper and i wasn't drawing necessarily i was actually just enjoying the way the um tip of the pen was uh making slight friction with the paper and but it wasn't too much friction it was just the right balance the way my hand is anyway so something like that that everyone uses a pen every day and i would it's possible people think about these things but i think most people probably don't they just pick up the pen and they use it to write uh to to do the task that they need the tool to do whereas for myself i i'm doing that but i i'm also noticing um the qualities of this pen and paper these materials um and not only that further than that i'm actually then enjoying it or um finding some kind of uh you know pleasure in it or um happiness as you talked about earlier but then i think that's a way then to reflect on the larger world you know so it's like okay if i can find this happiness or this pleasure this meaning from doing this it then makes me think about other things it makes me um somehow extrapolate that out into other life activities mm-hmm. totally yeah and like it's interesting how you're how you're saying like you know extrapolating to different life activities and stuff like that and like how it's you know with the with the pen the the nice pen and the and the paper i can totally see how that's like almost a like a lower degree of meaning in a sense like you're like you're gaining like like it's not like you're gaining like meaning in life or some crazy thing like that but it's right, just right. it's just a nice little like i don't know fulfilling exercise like to to notice that and to pay attention yeah, to that exactly um, or it's, i mean it, i think the cliche um in our culture is like when you notice the crack in the sidewalk yeah like it's or stop and smell the flowers right it's just this this moment where you and maybe this again because in our last conversation i think we did talk a little bit about meditation and buddhism Mm -hmm. and and i i am not practicing that but i guess what i imagine is it's where you you somehow are letting certain thoughts leave your consciousness and allowing other things to come in Mm -hmm. um so it's like, you know, taking the time or just noticing those little details in your existence, in your right. movement through it. Right, right. Yeah. And, and um, I remember just thinking about, yeah, my dad's meditation in relation to, uh, I don't know, I guess the going back to the pen and paper, it's almost like that would be something that you would do reflexively now. And it's like, it's become, it's become a part of your life. Like, and because you've made it a part of your life, it can give you meaning. 
it's like a it's like a fake it till you make it or like a believe it and you can achieve it sort of <laughs> sort of idea you know um maybe the the second over the over the first but yeah um i i remember talking with him and he was talking about how yeah it is sort of for him his buddhism is a lived experience now it's like just a part of his life it's just what he does but there was a time when that wasn't the case and he's had to like i don't know work at, at certain times in his life he's had to just push himself to to go deeper to to invest um and to kind of like and i'm just wondering if there are any sorts of um i don't know in either of your guys's life stories if there are any points that were like that powerful decisions or 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 feelings that you followed and um, have led you to the path that you're on today? Whoa, so many, but you know, it's, it's like, I think the thing about it, like the thing about, you know, it's really not just one or two big decisions. I feel like it's a million little decisions along the way. Right. right. And they all kind of ultimately add up to your life, you know, wherever you find yourself in that moment. That's definitely how it's been for me. There were always things that I sort of wanted to pursue, and I guess I just trusted the pursuit of those things to take me where I needed to go. But it it wasn't... I never really had, like, a profound, singular experience with meaning that, I guess, changed the course of my life that way. One thing I was thinking of was this idea of um like for example mariah and i both took art classes when we were young Mm -hmm. and we were interested in art but we weren't artists right i mean we could of course discuss what these terms mean but we were taking art classes and over the course of many art classes and then continuing to practice outside of the class and then to start to incorporate some of these maybe non-art activities but view them as we view our art activities that's kind of what made I think me become an artist so that it's like what Mariah just said it's an accumulation over time and slowly it becomes a way of living as opposed to being something that you study or even something that like yes we go to our art studios and we make art but we don't just do it then because we're so practiced in it now that you know i'm always doing art Mm -hmm. I mean, and it could get ridiculous, like, if I'm folding the laundry. I'm not saying that it's a work of art, but I might approach approach that in a similar way to if I'm drawing or if I'm doing something that someone else might recognize as an art activity. Right, right. I, I really like that, and especially, like, Uncle Mike, you were talking about perspective and, like, how you build up these experiences until the point that you you just see things in a different way. Yeah, at some point it becomes a, a way of being that I'm not even aware of unless maybe we're 
highlighting it, like talking about it now, or right. in in certain moments where it might become obvious to me. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, in what ways do you guys need to like work or fight to um, keep those those aspects um, of art in your lives? How do you how do you make it a priority? At this point, it's like our jobs, right? <laughs> So at this point, it's you know, it's, it's it's kind of woven so deeply into our lives that I don't think we really have to fight as much anymore. We're lucky enough to like have it be also. It's not just our vocation; it's like our careers as well have kind of intertwined. But it's not you know, it's not always been that way. You know, there have been times I think for both of us where. Um, we had to make money other ways in order to survive. During those times, uh, it's, you know, it's complicated. It's like kind of always something that's in the back of your mind that you want to do and you have the desire to do it and it becomes kind of um, just like a way... I don't know. It's, it, I don't know, Michael. Do you know what I'm talking about? I think so. I mean, I think what Mariah's describing um, is... When other things get in the way, often, you know, this idea of going to your studio and making art gets pushed aside. I think, and that's kind of the, I think the more conventional or reality for most artists. Oh, I have a job. So for these hours of the day, nine to five, five days a week, I can't be making my art. I have to be making money. Mariah, does that seem... Yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. So I guess what the way I was interpreting Mariah's thoughts was that for most of us as artists, there's a um, conflict of time where you have time to make your artwork in your studio, but then there's other things in life that you have to do, and that could be most notably going to a job um, say nine to five where that time period will not be spent making art and then the art happens after or on a day off or on the weekends or whatever Um, but I think some of the ideas I was talking about a few minutes ago where it's more of like this um, lifestyle as an artist and again, this might be a little idealistic, but I, I guess it's kind of like, well, even when you're at work, you're at work as an artist. Right. Or even when you're in a traffic jam and not making a painting, you're existing in that space as an artist. Now, what does that mean? Well, it can mean a lot of things, but I guess it's more of, again, it's a bigger philosophical thought of um, life and we're talking about meaning like life meaning uh, is all the time because you're always alive so um, I don't not become I don't cease to become an artist when I'm in the car in a traffic jam I'm still an artist I might not be making a painting but I'm looking at the world or I'm experiencing the world um, through my filters that are more developed. And I, I know Mariah does that too. Um, 
even though the example she gave was a more uh, conventional one where it's like this finding balance between time to make art and time where you have to do other things. Yeah, yeah, no, and I, I, I relate to that myself, honestly, just like with my, with my surfing and especially, um, with the idea of a traffic jam, you know, I'll be, or, or just like maybe not a traffic jam, but like, um, yeah, I'll definitely, I'll definitely view traffic jams sometimes like a, like a surfing lineup. Um, and like, you know, you start to pick out the people who are the, um, the more aggressive drivers or the people like who in the lineup would be the, would be the guys who are paddling for every single wave. And you kind of like start to, uh, start to put your shoulders up a little bit more around those cars. And, uh, <laughs> and I think what yeah. you're describing, yeah. Will, is like, uh, that analogous experience like your physical body in a space and you're like virtually imagining this other place where your body is in a physical space like you're in right. the car but you're imagining you're on the surfboard and that's one way and that's definitely what I'm talking about but I think there's these other ways that maybe are less um concrete like that or less directly related in a way or not directly related but directly analogous sure i'll try to think of some but it's it's almost like and maybe this will get into the more spiritual but it's like the way of being right so it's not so much um way for me to be an artist in uh, non-art activity but other things like I'm, like maybe the laundry is a better example like where it's oh no that's the same thing it's like a physical um, analogous like folding a piece of laundry could be like um, well, I think too like you know there was this thing that like people were talking like 10 years ago when I was in grad school about how the MFA is the new MBA and all of these companies were trying to recruit artists to work because, you know, artists have critical thinking skills, you know, right. that a lot of, you know, are trained to think in a particular way, you know, that's critical and creative at the same time. Right. You know, so every time you make something, you're constantly kind of evaluate, trying to decide like what it is, where is, where is it going? You know, what do I want this to be? Maybe my expectations are like there's this whole litany of, I guess, a kind of sort of existential thinking that goes through your mind, you know, just engaging in the practice of making art, even if your practice is meditative and you're not thinking of those things in the moment. You know, you're kind of going through a certain, there's a certain kind of questioning that's automatically, I think, involved. And, you know, that's, you know, part, I guess that's part of the thing that, you know, you take out into the world with you after you leave the studio. And, you know, people being in the studio doesn't involve actually making objects. You know, there's this whole social practice movement where people are, you know, engaged in political action or creating scenarios for certain people to engage with each other in interesting ways. So it's not, it's not all 
it's not all like materials based. Right, right, right. What I was going to say was I was going to point out um, Mariah's studio practice where sometimes she's in there and she's just for eight hours painting. But other times she's in there and I, I walk in and she'll be sitting in the chair and she's looking at her painting on the wall and she's not just passively looking, she's really, you could see her mind is like turning and she's really trying to figure, figure it out. So she's, she's thinking through all these visual and conceptual issues. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes a big part of her time in the studio is not making, but it's thinking. And I think for all artists, there's there's some degree of that balance between making time and thinking time. And some it's it's uh, much more making, and others it's much more thinking. But there's there's a continuum there. So I guess my point is is that um, you can take these skills; they get um, internalized, and this goes back to what I was saying about. You know, when we were just starting out, we'd go to an art class and, okay, this is art class and we're going to learn how to make a painting today or we're going to learn how to throw a pot on the wheel or whatever. It's, it was much more direct in that way. And now that we've been doing it for 20 or 30 years, it's much more fluid in how um, art time and lifetime are just totally intermeshed Mm -hmm. in a way and it gets internalized so when I'm confronted with uh, a situation yes I'm I'm going to deal with that as a person but a lot of that person is an artist so I'm going to approach a situation like with my experience as an artist helping me to figure out how to solve this problem. Right. Is that what you were getting at, Mariah, a little bit? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Which which is a specific set of skills, you know, that go beyond just um, being able to draw a straight line or being able to um, have some technical skill. It really is. It's a, a way of being. It's a way of thinking and being. Yeah, just really, interacting with the in world. In today's art world, though that is much more valued as a skill than, say, being able to draw a straight line. So that's where, um, and, and often there is a disconnect between artists and the general public. You know, most people that are not artists are attracted to technical ability and you know skill um, in say rendering something to make it look realistic mm-hmm. most artists uh, philosophical emotional experiential approach to whatever situation they're putting themselves in. That could be a a situation with paint, it could be a situation with sculpture, it could be a situation like Mariah mentioned, a social practice where you're engaging other people, 
could be a performance or dance, music. You know, this is not just visual arts I'm talking about. I think I'm talking about artists of all kinds. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you guys how your personal style plays into it, if at all. Personal style. I mean, I'm not even really sure. I mean, I guess, yes. At some point, you do something over and over again a million times, and you end up start you you end up like finding ways to solve your own problems in your own particular way. Right. Like maybe that's what you mean by personal style. Um. Like, what do you mean by style? Yeah, or just like your your style as an artist uh like the style of your art maybe not style maybe i'm using the wrong word there no that's what? that's fine that's a better way to you say that say a, approach approach to art making or the visual style or we sometimes use this term visual language yeah to describe yeah um, yeah or like the, the continuity is... i don't know the like like the continuity of your artwork i mean like like uncle mike your paintings tend to look i mean at least um, the ones that we have around around our house tend to, uh, well, interestingly enough, I guess, they, they, they do seem to go through phases. You know, we have some of your earlier artwork um, oh, sure. and some of your later artwork, uh, but there is a definite way that you tend to draw a painting or paint a painting, sorry. Um, so for me as... As a, as a philosophy major, for me as a, as a surfer, there's a certain amount of, I guess, like, self-doubt that creeps in, um, of just, like, I don't know, like, am I good enough, or, um, like, like, what is it? Exactly the, exactly the same. Yeah. Like, every day. Exactly. Still, after three, two decades doing this. Yeah, you're always asking yourself those questions. Am I good enough? Like, is this worth it? Like, mm-hmm. all this time and energy and spent, you know, you're constantly, like, doubting yourself. Like, you know, wondering, like, you know, if what you're doing is what you should be doing. Mm-hmm. Or what, you know, you're constantly, that's, that's, I don't think that ever goes away, probably. How do you deal with it, though? What, like, I think, like, you just learn to trust. I mean, the great thing about art is, like, you kind of create your own parameters, and after a while, you just kind of have to trust. I mean, maybe right. it's more of a faith, that becomes more of a faith issue. Right. It's, right. It's like, you know. And by parameters, do you mean, like, I don't know, like, would that go back to anything like elements of style or elements of, like, a certain way that you do art or a certain way that you approach it yeah totally i mean my my i have certain parameters you know that i've created for myself that i certain things that i work with within each painting that have become consistent over time um yeah because those are things that i'm interested in and i'm kind of interested in interrogating that and seeing what directions I can push it in or like what I can get that, get it to do or, you know, things like that. Um, yeah, those are like parameters and you're constantly, I guess, pushing, pushing those things or asking questions of it, I guess. Uh-huh. I don't know if that makes sense. You're totally. like, you're kind of testing the boundaries. 
yeah, testing the boundaries or like seeing what you can do with it. Right. Trying out and right, right. But that doesn't mean just like um, you know taking a cup of paint and throwing it at the wall. You know, I think what Mariah's trying to explain is like she's got a set of parameters that she's dealing with. Right. And within those parameters, um, which are both visual and conceptual thought base, she wrestles with um, with that. And then I have these other uh, parameter, a different in my you know my parameters are dealing with other you know some some similar the same as hers. We might both be wrestling with color or shape, mm-hmm. um, but then maybe we're you know have other things that are are different. But anyway, within each of us, we're trying to push ourselves. Um, but I would also say, and not to. I mean, I, I do find myself more so now, I'm less, it's not that I'm less doubtful about myself or my work, but it's almost like I don't care as much. Right. It's kind of like, I'm going to do this. I've made a decision to do this. I've put a lot of energy and commitment into this thing. And whether it's good or bad or you like it or don't like it, you know, those sure they'll all affect me to some extent, but in the end, I just have to keep going and keep doing it. So those, those other things almost don't matter. Right. The meaningfulness uh, kind of goes deeper in a certain sense, especially for, for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Like, of course, if someone, sees one of my works and says, oh, I'd love to buy this. I want to give you money for this. That's a positive reinforcement. That's going to feel good. That's going to make me believe in my work more, et cetera, et cetera. But it's not why I'm made. It's not why I'm doing it. Right. If someone uh, wants to give me a show in a gallery, that's amazing. I would definitely do it as I have in the past. And be happy with that, but that's not why I'm doing it. And it's not that I would be content if you destroyed all my artworks that I've ever made. I wouldn't be, but at the same time, I would probably be okay with it because it's not even in the end about the final physical product, whatever that is. It's about the, the time spent doing it and the, experience of that and the journey and all you know some of this sounds a little cliche but that's kind of for me and I think for a lot of the artists that I'm friends with those are the more important things be an artist as long as I'm breathing and you know whether I'm successful at it doesn't matter whether you like it doesn't matter I'm gonna keep doing it right and maybe I'm getting a little uh off on a tangent but uh no no that was that was right there i mean i was the next question that i sort of had cued in my mind was um sort of just like yeah journey over destination like that's obviously how it how it sounds but is there even an end goal at all no i mean yes i mean the goal is always the whatever life you know the goal is to live a 
good life. Yeah. I mean, like every time you walk into the studio to work, it's not some like happy, wonderful, free time, pleasant experience. Right. It's not. Sometimes it's really hard work and you don't want to do it. Or at least it is for me. But I know that there is like, you know, that's maybe where delayed gratification comes into it. It's like, it's not always like this fun, happy, carefree, easy thing to do. Like sometimes it's hard and you don't want to do it. But, um, you know, you keep going because, I don't know, you have faith in the process that ultimately it's going to take you somewhere interesting. Mm-hmm. How do you, or I guess, do you feel like that ties into just, like, self-motivation? And, because, you know, there is this sort of, like, the, the like how I, how I started out the episode with just, like, the um, the self-interest versus morality, you know, their, their naked self-interest being tempered by societal conditioning, you know, yada, yada, yada. Um where does that fit in, you know? I guess, I guess for me in life, like, I, I, if I look back and I have to think about it that way, like, I've really always taken the path of least resistance. Mm. Like, sometimes taking the path of least resistance means doing the difficult thing. Because right. you're not going to be depressed in the end. You're not, right. you know, you're going to, you know, sometimes that's what it means. It means putting in the work or doing something that makes you feel uncomfortable for a short period of time, knowing that eventually the thing you're going to get from it is going to far outweigh the thing that made you uncomfortable for the brief period. Right. And the more you have that experience, the easier it is to be like, oh yeah, okay, maybe this sucks right now, but it's not always going to suck. It's going to feel really good. And, like, the times that it does feel really good make all the times that it feels really uncomfortable worth it. Mm-hmm. And Mariah used the word faith. You have to have faith. And I think it is, for me, I see art not as a religion necessarily, but it requires a lot of that similar ideas uh, faith being the biggest one, like ultimately you just have to have faith in what you're doing is the right thing or the thing you should be doing um, to find happiness. And we don't necessarily have proof. We have some some proof, like some of those um, societal um, modes of um, acceptance, like, uh, money or a job or a show and attention or um, those things are part of it but ultimately we have this faith this belief that we've set up that this pursuing art is the right pursuit for us it's the one that will give us the most fulfillment in the way that your dad has chosen meditation and studying Buddhism is the way he's putting his faith in that, that that will give him enlightenment or peace or whatever word you want to use there. I think Mariah and I have put our faith in art to give us enlightenment or peace or just even if we don't get to that place, um, fulfillment of some kind. 
Throughout our conversation, I was really drawn to this sort of aspect of identity that seems to be intertwined with meaning. Like Mike and Mariah were kind of hinting at throughout the entire conversation, um, meaning seems to involve seeing yourself as someone or something um, that you that you want to be. Um, sort of like I, I at least see this for myself with, with surfing. Um, because I gain meaning not only from going out there and surfing, uh, but also from just kind of like walking into a surf shop and admiring the boards. And so it's not only the largeness, um, but it's also the smallness uh, of meaning that ties it all together and um, allows it to entwine with uh, everyday life. Kind of like what Mike was talking about at the beginning of the episode um, with his pen doodles. And that kind of just brings me back to the idea of humans as storytellers um, and storytelling as an essential aspect of human nature in the way that our uh, personal identity, both in how we present it to other people and how we present it to ourselves, is really made up of a conglomeration of stories and experiences and the way that we acted or reacted in such circumstances. There was also a lot that resonated with me um, and my experience of doing this podcast uh, this summer, uh, especially the ideas of self-doubt as a part of the creative process and just figuring out how to deal with it uh, through learning to trust oneself and building an understanding of one's parameters and one's personal style uh, or creative process and the connection with faith as a means of gaining meaning in life. The idea of faith uh, I found to be particularly interesting, um, especially through religion. Um, and it's just so interesting to me how many people all over the world gain a large amount of meaning in their lives um, in connecting through faith to their religion, their uh, something that's larger than themselves. And how on the flip side of that, you have artists like Mike and Mariah who are gaining meaning in their lives by having faith that the uh, pursuit of art in their own lives is worth it uh, and will bring meaning to them and happiness and everything that goes with it. So yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, I hope that today's show was not only fun, but perhaps set off some trains of thought to new and interesting destinations. If you'd like to share your thoughts on the episode, have ideas for future episodes, or just general feedback, about the show, uh, feel free to shoot me an email at wcilio20 at cmc.edu. Thanks again for listening. I'm Will Cilio, and this is Think Like a Human.